Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I argue over and critique horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe <laughs> maybe you never learn anything, maybe we never quite illuminate anything for you, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So today we are kicking off our fan-voted theme of Deadly Summer Camps, and so we thought we would start with the pinnacle of deadly summer camp franchises, of course, Friday the 13th, and in this case, Friday the 13th Part 2 from 1981, so I know that Chris, being a huge Jason fan, is excited to talk about this one. I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about my boy. I'm always excited to talk about Jason. But I Who would like, isn't? I would like to point out on this podcast, we have talked about my boy more than we've talked about your dude. You just couldn't, you just couldn't not mention no, that. No, I couldn't. This. I couldn't. This is our third Friday the 13th episode, I'm, and I'm ecstatic. Yeah, well, you're making me think that I have to, like, put out requests for everybody of, like, what do you want to hear us talk about? Like, which movies in particular? <laughs> So that I can think of themes to put out there for you all where we can, like, squeeze no, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie in. all Friday the 13th movies. <laughs> no. Uh, but anyway, so that's what we're talking about tonight. But before we get into that, we have our usual spoiler-free content. Uh, so we'll let you know when we're getting the spoilers. But uh, I always like to go over releases for the week before we talk about the movie. So coming to you this week, and again, these will all be out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, first up is a film called Caveat, uh, which is coming to Shudder. And this is a movie where, you know, I, I always feel there's a risk in making these kind of statements because if you think that I'm wrong, then you're going to be like, that fucking Matt guy, he's always, <laughs> he's always fucking exaggerating about this shit and I hate him, you know? But I feel confident in saying the caveat might be one of the, if not scarier, creepier horror films of the year. <laughs> there is a moment in this movie that straight up just made me scream and be like, oh, I don't fucking like that at all. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and that moment actually happened a couple times to me. I Basically, it's a film where I don't want to get too much into it without spoilers, but let's just say essentially a man fan finds himself as the captive of a woman in her basement and the shit goes from there. Let's just leave it at that. It's, it's a very creepy movie. It's spooky. It's chilling. I want to uh, watch this. Yeah, it's it, there's a fucking weird horrifying like rabbit in this movie like a like a ragged a rabbit toy that keeps showing up that uh that we need figures of so this sounds amazing um but anyway so that'll be on show by the time you listen to this highly recommend that uh another one i think i've mentioned this in releases before for when it came out to theaters uh, even possibly last week i probably mentioned it but i want to mention it again because it's out on vod now and that is a film called dementia part two this is the one where i mentioned that it was kind of made on like a dare almost, right? Oh, um, okay. So this is that movie again. And just to reiterate for those who missed it last week, Dementia Part 2 is basically about this handyman who's hired to uh, go work on this woman's house. And she's this old woman with dementia. 
and to say anything more would spoil it, but let's just say that things get very weird very fast, and <laughs> and I I am confident for sure in calling this one one of the grossest horror films you'll see of the year. I know I'm doing this twice in a row, but I mean it this time. <laughs> like, uh, it really is a nasty movie. You know, there's multiple parts in this film that just make you like gag and be very grateful that it's shot in black and white. <laughs> so, uh, I don't think you've ever mentioned that it's black and white before. Uh, I might not have mentioned that last week, but yeah, it is shot in black and white, and when you see it, you'll see why, because if it was in color, <laughs> there are moments in this where I, I don't know if people can handle it. Damn. <laughs> um, not because not because the effects in it in particular are gross, it's more of like the action of what's occurring, mm-hmm. where if you're just really thinking about it, it's going to make you queasy, you know, so, uh, but anyway, so that one's on VOD by the time you listen to this, uh, really fun movie, it's not perfect, it's got its issues, it, it was made very quickly, and again on a dare, but it is really fun, I think it'd make a great midnight movie, you know, and then lastly, a big one, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It is coming to theaters and HBO Max, so they should you know, should be out on both of those outlets by the time you listen to this. I don't really need to tell you much about that one, I don't think. I'm sure you know. You know, it involves Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, once again facing ghosts, this time dealing with a case where uh, there's a person on trial who claims that uh, they were possessed when they murdered some people, and, you know, obviously Ed and Lorraine, they got some <laughs> demons to hunt down, right? So the... This one looks really great. There's a lot of really fun references in the film. I especially love the Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 reference to the waterbed in the trailer. I have not seen it yet myself, but I've heard mostly good things. Uh, definitely some mixed reviews, which does not surprise me because James Wan did not direct this iteration. So so I am positive it's probably going to feel a little bit different than the past two conjuring movies but it still looks really good i'm sure it'll still be a fun you know creepy time so definitely check that out if you can so back to friday 13th part two we're not in spoilers yet but just to go over what the film is so this was directed by steve minor who also did friday 13th part three as well as the film's house which i really like warlock which we've talked about here before that's a lot of fun uh lake placid which a lot of people really love that movie, and we've discussed that here, too. That uh, it was written by Ron Kurtz, and essentially, it's what you think it is. You know, it's it follows a, a new group of camp counselors in training at summer camp just down the lake from Camp Blood, and this is where we get our introduction for the first time to grown Jason Voorhees going around camp and, you know, picking people off. <laughs> is it a spoiler to say Sackhead Jason? Why would that be a spoiler? I don't know. I want to be spoiler, careful. Spoiler, it's Jason, and he's wearing a sack. <laughs> Look, I don't want to ruin anything, I and I have a tendency to spoil things. No, I don't. First of all, I don't think Sackhead spoils it <laughs> if you already know that it's Jason. And second of all, uh, the movie was... It's fucking forty years old. I think. I think at this point we're allowed to say it's Sackhead Jason. I think people know right. by this point that Jason is the killer of the Friday Thirteenth franchise. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, Chris, <laughs> but I think they get it. Um, you know, he's only he's only the most popular icon Look. in horror history. Yeah, you just admit he's the most popular icon in horror history. He is. No Look, take I backs. love Freddy, but we, I love Freddy, but it's a battle between Michael and Jason as far as I think who's most beloved because 
those fan bases are just like, they'll fucking claw your eyes out over those characters. You I know? will. So, <laughs> I absolutely will. But anyway, so, so that's what we're doing. And so before we get into spoilers, we always like to do a poll on Twitter, just kind of getting your thoughts and feelings uh, on our Twitter at Killer Critics. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, I've never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on Friday the 13th Part 2? Uh, there's no answer other than love it because it's a Friday the 13th movie. That's true, but apparently there were a lot of people that disagreed with you. So. <gasps> No, 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 and it's not what you think. So, <laughs> so love it was sixty five point seven percent. So that still Fuck took yeah. it. I still took it. Uh, it's fine was twenty six point three percent, which I get. Everyone yeah. has their own rankings of these movies. You know, everyone's Friday ranking is different. Don't like it was three point six percent. You have no soul. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do not judge people for not liking movies. Uh, and never seen it is four point four percent. So yeah, I gotta admit I'm not really surprised by that. That no. pretty much falls where I thought it would. Although uh, you 4.4% need to go and watch the Friday the 13th movies. Oh, hell yeah. No, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you've never seen Friday the 13th Part 2, you need to, you need to get on yeah, that shit. Yeah, get on that shit. <laughs> we're getting into summer here. It's the perfect time. It's why we're talking about these kinds of movies, you know. So definitely, yeah, you got to go do that. Um, so we also like to get comments from, from all of you and kind of see what you think of it. So uh, these are all from Twitter. First up is at that Joe Myers. So T-H-A-T. J-O-E-M-E-Y-E-R-S. And they say, best film in the entire franchise for me. Okay, that's a strong statement. <laughs> hey, we all have our favorites, that's Chris. That's true. <laughs> Here's the thing. I do think this is, look, I love all the Friday the 13th movies, and I always hate choosing which one is my favorite because I like different aspects. Out if of I were to put one. you on the spot right now, could you tell me what your favorite was? Well, half the time I like saying Jason X because it pisses people off sometimes. <laughs> is that your favorite, though? I don't know. Well, cause We're going like, to say Jason X. <laughs> it, it is definitely one of my favorites because of how just like, dumb and like tongue-in-cheek in it but having watched this one like more closely for doing the podcast i do think that this one has potentially one of my favorite overall casts because mm. the women in this movie are so fucking kick-ass and awesome so yeah this They're is great. yeah this is definitely there's not a bad friday the 13th movie except for maybe the remake which i don't count sorry well <laughs> and there'd be a lot of people that disagree with you there too so um, no, yeah, there's a lot of people that love the remake. Uh, Fair I'm, I'm not one of them. I like it. I don't think it's great. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, for me, you know, I, it's not my favorite either. I actually prefer, uh, part four because I think that that's just the ultimate combination of everything we like about these movies, like great mm -hmm. characters. I think it's the scariest of the franchise. The kills are really intense. Tom Savini came back to do the makeup effects for that, and it shows, you know. But but I do think the Friday the 13th Part 2 in itself is a great movie. And, you know, to, to give it credit, uh, especially coming from Steve Miner, who is a really accomplished director, I do think it's one of the better directed Friday the 13th films. You know, it's... Absolutely. Because, you know, it's just, it's just really well shot. It's well written. It feels kind of like... It's got, like, little giallo hints to it, right? But anyway, so yes, no, I, I'm I completely behind Joe in that it is a great movie. Yes. And, I, and I totally respect it as being the favorite in the franchise, you know. And plus, Sackhead Jason is great. Yeah, like, it's first Jason. Like, it's not it's not the iconic look of Jason that we all love, right? But he's fucking fantastic. And I, I, love and, him. I and there's a lot of people that Sackhead is their favorite, and I get that, so. You have a little doll of him. He's the best. Exactly. But anyway, thank you, that Joe Myers, for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is at Tedekin, so that's T-E-D-A-K-I-N, and they say, I pretty much love every Friday the 13th up through part 8, they are comfort watching. Fuck yeah. Yeah, no, I, 
for me, every Friday the 13th is just comfort food at this point. Yeah, I'll, I'll say <laughs> to the comment, like, I, I'm completely behind that, but I would also throw in Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, and the remake. I, I think they're all great. I think they're all really fun comfort watches. And, you know, any anyone listening is going to be, you know, like, we just mentioned Jason X, and Chris and I have talked about that before on here. We love that movie. Yep. And, and you know, we just talked about the Friday the 13th remake briefly, and I'll just also throw in... I think Jason goes to hell's incredible movie, and and when I say incredible, please don't please don't <laughs> take that literally and think that I mean like it's a masterfully made movie. That's not what I'm saying when I say that. What I what I'm saying is that it's just a fun, entertaining horror film. Like like you know I, sometimes like Twitter has almost you know social media has almost turned it into where you know I, I feel like everything's taken so literally. Where if I say something like this is a phenomenal movie or this is a great movie. You know, people are like, no, it's not. You're talking about Chud 2. That movie sucks. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, I guess the way I look at it is, yeah, it's not, it's not a perfect movie, but when I'm, when I'm talking about something being great or, or, you know, terms like that, I, I'm, I look at movies with how entertaining are they? How, how well do they, achieve what they wanted you know i'm not i'm not always looking at how how masterful is the camera work how perfect are the effects like you know that's to be considered if i'm gonna call something or if i'm gonna like rate something you know Mm -hmm. out out of 10 or whatever but what the hell am i talking about so (laughs) so i guess what i'm but with jason goes to hell it's just a great entertaining movie you know and i feel like it gets knocked just because it's attached to the friday franchise and it doesn't have a lot of jason Voorhees in it yeah. So I feel like automatically people just turn their nose up at it. But when you watch that movie, it's actually a really like entertaining body hopping slasher film. It's a really, it is really good. I think I just realized how I have to think about that movie in terms of the franchise. It is Friday the Thirteenth's season of the witch. Yeah, basically. Yeah, uh, because it's it well, is... and uh, as is Friday Thirteenth Part Fives. So. <laughs> <laughs> True, but at least Part Five is a little bit more classically Friday the Thirteenth. Yes, it's still it's still very similar in execution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a really good film when you look at it by itself. But yeah, in terms of the whole franchise, it is it is a little bit of a bump in the road. Right. But anyway, so thank you, Tedekin, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Definitely agreed. These movies are just great comfort watches. Can watch them every year if you wanted. Every week, if you wanted, every day, if you wanted, I can watch one of these. Agreed. <laughs> anyway, so thank you again. And next up is at Nightmare Movies, which I don't think I have to spell that. Nightmare Movies. <laughs> and they say it's the only Friday sequel that could stand alone if retitled. Um, yeah, I would agree with you. I have trouble agreeing with you be- solely because of the beginning, because mm. we have that whole flashback with the original final girl from the first well, film. Well, but you have to... So, look, I think a comment like this, you don't look at it literally. <laughs> that you is know, always I my th- fault. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you can't take, you know, the, <laughs> the introduction uh, or, or the end of the first movie, put it at the beginning of this and say it's a different franchise, right? Yeah. I, I, think, I, I think one way to look at the comment is saying, you know, if we were to say open with a girl who remembers something horrific happening from their past and then it plays out like that and we don't directly connect things to the first film i can see what they're saying in that case right because because as we're going to get into in a moment here once we get into spoilers is that this friday film this jason is very different from iterations that came later right yeah it's a very different uh jason Voorhees friday 13th movie because this is the only one that kind of has him 
uh, just like the previous film, lurking around in the shadows and not really front and center for the camera until the very end, right? Mm -hmm. And so you could basically retitle it and slap a different killer's name on it, and it would work just fine, right? That's it's only true. With, it's only with the later sequels where it's like, okay, this this is Jason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that did just make me realize that the only thing about part two that kind of breaks my heart a little bit is that this franchise could have been Pamela's because oh, she's yeah. our original one, and I love my I so, love my dumb backwater boy Jason, but I just got reminded <laughs> that this could have been Pamela's franchise. Oh, really quick, so I don't want to spend time on this, but you know, I don't remember if we mentioned this uh, on the episodes or in the bonus content when we had our Patreon, but when we did our J Horror Month. I remember making the comment that, you know, in other countries like Japan, if a woman is the face of the franchise in the first movie, she gets to be the face of the franchise for the rest of the series. Yeah. In America, if a woman is the face of the franchise for the first movie, she gets belittled down to a head or a ghost <laughs> or something like that, and a man takes over for the rest of the franchise. So, yeah. it, I, I mean, for God's sakes, it happened in Hellraiser. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> Uh, it happened in Hellraiser, a bunch of other movies, you know, it just, it's a constant theme in America where it's just, it's so goddamn hard to get a woman killer her franchise in <laughs> no. horror. But anyway, so thank you, Nightmare Movies, for the comment, really appreciate it. Next up is at NarcoticCasser1, so that's N-A-R-C-O-T-I-C-C-A-S-S-E-R, and then the number one. And they say, I do enjoy it as Jason's debut in Amy Steele's Ginny is definitely in my top five heroines of the series. However, much like From Russia With Love, the series still hadn't hit Goldfinger status of greatness until part four. Uh, okay, look, it's really hard for me to be negative <laughs> about Friday the 13th because I love it so much. Look, I think it's interesting because for me, a lot of the Jason films and the Friday the 13th films I like are kind of like the later ones. It's, yeah, with, with part four and five, once it gets a little bit campier, those are the ones that I like a little bit better. And it's interesting because these earlier ones are more serious they're taking themselves slightly more serious. I, I actually don't think it gets campy really until part five. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like, there, there are certainly can't... Part three especially has a lot of campy stuff because it kind of plays up the the sort of, like, party late night yeah. vibe of these movies, right? You know? Plus it was the 3D one, which is inherently campy. Yeah, so, so I guess maybe you could say it kind of gets campy there, but I, I really don't see these movies going, like, overboard, right, into mm -hmm. just being completely comical slasher jason's a rock star fun until part six <laughs> and up until then they were still kind of scary but but yeah in terms of this you know I, I i'm with you in that it's great as jason's debut i think amy Steele's Ginny is the final girl of the franchise i love her and <laughs> i do like the comparison of from russia with love though uh which i actually like from russia with love it's got a great boat chase <laughs> <laughs> um but no, but as I said before, part four is my favorite. I do think that that's like the pinnacle peak of the franchise. Of course, it's your favorite. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you, Narcotic Caster One, for the comment. Appreciate it. And lastly is a comment from at Jack Blank HSH. So that's Jack B L A N K H S H. And they say, it's not bad. It's interesting wondering where he was during the events of the first film, but even more so, it's fascinating that the iconic Jason doesn't arrive until the third film. He's the only slasher whose image evolves over sequels. Yeah, it's... I love... There is the constant mystery of 
Jason, especially between one and two of just like, so did everybody just think that this kid died and mm-hmm. he did it and they just abandoned him in the woods for 20 years? So I think I actually <laughs> figured it out. So so first of all, now, <laughs> uh, so, so first of all, I'll just say that, yeah, it, it's one of the great things about Jason, I think. And honestly, a lesson other franchises could take a note from because when you do watch Friday the 13th, Jason looks very different throughout the course of the movies, right? Yeah, he gets like, to be even, a zombie at one point. Well, he gets to be, well, <laughs> I mean, he gets to be a zombie for most of the franchise, but <laughs> but it's like, basically, I mean, here you've got him sackhead, the next movie, he finally gets his mask, and he has a very different looking outfit. Part four, he looks different from part three. Part five is, you know, I won't spoil that for those who haven't seen it, but it's a different looking hockey mask, it's blue, right? Mm-hmm. Six, he becomes a zombie. Seven, his guy's spine hanging out. Eight, he's all wet and goopy. Nine, he's barely in it and kind of a demon. Ten, he's got his fucking like ultra, you know, mecha Jason. Terminator look, you know? Jason. Like, like franchises should do that more often. One that always bugged me where the character never changes or 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 changes, but in brief glimpses was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger because I always thought that Freddy could, you know, Freddy could upgrade himself if he wanted every right. movie and have a little bit different of a look, right? And yeah, why does he just, want to stay in that shitty sweater and fedora <laughs> the entire time? He just really fucking <laughs> loves that sweater, that dirty ass sweater. But you know, but you get little glimpses of him there. But uh, you know, Michael Myers is the one that always bugged me the most because Michael just always looks the fucking same, yeah. Other than you know, little changes in the eye holes and the mask, and like it's just it's more fun. I think like once these figures reach a more iconic status, I think it's more fun to just you know give variations of them, especially if you want like great action figure toy lines, right? So <laughs> there's um, so many Jason toys. But okay, so really quick, and then we'll get into sports territory here in a sec, but. So really quick, I think I figured out how to explain Friday the 13th. So, okay. <laughs> so bear with me for a second. But I think that when you look at these movies, okay, so so spoilers for the first few movies here. I'm sorry. Hopefully you've seen them. But uh, so we've got the first film where we learn that Jason Voorhees drowned, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Pamela Voorhees, you know, goes on a killing spree years later because she's pissed off and, you know, wants to get vengeance for that. And then in part two here, this is not a spoiler, but you have a moment where where Ginny is at the bar and she says something about how, basically saying kind of like, what if? Like, what if Jason never drowned? What if he uh, was lost in the woods and saw his mother die? You know, what if this? And what's fascinating to me is that it feels like, you know, <laughs> like like I feel like through my whole life there's been this debate on friday the 13th and what those first few sequels mean and what jason is and it just never really occurred to me of like how simple the answer is in that Ginny's just right yeah Ginny's just right like we never we never took the time to think maybe he did get lost or maybe because think about it this way what is what is the story behind how jason was killed he right? drowned he drowned under the watch of camp counselors who weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Did anyone ever stop to think of like how kind of iffy that story sounds? <laughs> you know, where it's like they never found the body, so how did they know he drowned? Yeah. <laughs> if the camp counselors weren't watching him. <laughs> they nobody, just... s- nobody actually saw him drown. <laughs> I love the idea that these, <laughs> these camp counselors would rather just say that he's dead than they lost him. Right. Right. No, no one actually says he no one actually saw him drown as far as we know, because the story's supposed to be, well, nobody was watching him. So how do we actually know? We don't know. 
there's no proof. So, so I'm not saying that he wasn't in the lake when they lost track of him. Mm-hmm. But the simple fact of the matter is they lost track of him. And so, and so it's very easy actually to imagine this kid who, you know, is, is, is mentally handicapped. Like he's, he ends up getting lost. You know, maybe he, maybe he washed up on shore on the other side of the lake and he's just been living there. Yeah. Because he's, you know, because he he's the sort of kid where it's like he needs special care, right? So it makes sense that maybe he couldn't find his back way to civilization. Maybe he didn't know what to do. Maybe he maybe he made know, friends with the bear and decided to never leave. Maybe he <laughs> did, you know. And then it also big, you know, it also makes sense then that well, you know, you got to think too with the way that this society treats kids like him, which is horribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not too difficult to imagine that. If Pamela Voorhees was calling for like an investigation and all this kind of stuff, it's not too difficult to imagine that cops were probably just like meh on the case and yeah. maybe gave up pretty early on. Maybe nobody really cared that much, you know, and, and that's probably a big driving force and why she was so pissed off. Right. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they just never found him. Maybe they didn't look hard enough. Maybe whatever. Right. And so by the time you get to the second movie, you know, Ginny even says it herself, like he would be grown by now. Right. Because. Another thing that we do is we see Alice in the beginning of Friday the 13th Part 2, and then this movie happens, and we think, like, oh, they're happening, like, right next to each other, right? And we never actually consider, well, actually, by a timeline, you know, she basically could kind of be <laughs> being killed off way earlier than this story is taking place. Like, it yeah. could be years mm-hmm. since that happened, right? So I'm going to get more into that when we can get into spoilers, because <laughs> then I can talk about how Jason goes from Part 2 to 3 and, and so forth, but... But that I think that's the very simple explanation. Yeah. It's actually not that fucking complicated. No, he just got left and, in the woods. Yeah, we always overcomplicate it, but it's really yeah. simple. He just never actually drowned. No, he just got left in the woods. Exactly. And built a shanty town. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so thank you, uh, Jack Blank HSH, for the comment. We appreciate it. Uh, so last thing we'd like to do before spoilers is talk about the tagline versus the movie and what we think of it overall. So just really quick, the tagline for Friday the 13th Part 2 was, The body counts continues <laughs> so what do you what do you think of the tagline what do you think of friday the 13th part two overall yeah that's a shitty basic bitch tagline but it's not wrong the body count is getting higher it is continuing so i get, i always take this very literally the tagline okay. is correct well let me say let me say this because because I'm, I'm gonna have a lot to say about this kind of stuff and we're probably gonna go over time on this episode so because <laughs> I, I have a lot to say about this movie it's a it's a fitting tagline for the way that Friday the 13th was perceived. So when the first one came out, I mean, it was absolutely just destroyed by critics, you know, like, like fucking Roger Ebert, as he always was out there, is out there saying it's like depraved and, you know, who would make this garbage and blah, blah, blah. You know, basically the shit that always gets us horror fans going, oh, okay, I guess I should see that, you know, like it's, <laughs> um, you know, like critics just tore it apart. And, so this second trailer, you know, it continues, or, or the second movie, it continues kind of the, the advertising ploy of the first one, uh, which was basically to advertise it as a body count, you know, because both trailers for each of these movies and for further Friday movies have kind of like a countdown or a count up, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. of like, it'll, it'll go one, and then it'll show somebody about to be murdered, two, so another person about to be murdered, three, you know, it's like counting the bodies, and, and this film continues that. So anyway... This series has always been wrongfully looked at, I think, as, as being full of characters who are who are just 
you know, f- meat for for the slaughter, right? Yeah. Fodder for the slaughter. And it's a misconception that I think was actually created by critics like Roger Ebert, mm-hmm. who, you know, because, you know, horror fans like our voice in the matter uh, has always been kind of subdued, you know, uh, up until recently where it's like, you're you're not a you're not considered a fucking weirdo to like horror movies, you know. But there it's been, but there's been a battle uh, from the general public against horror forever, you know. Yeah. And so it, it's not surprising that that critics like Ebert, who are these big voices in that community of judgment over movies, uh, that their opinions could kind of seep into uh, sort of the zeitgeist, right? And so what I think kind of happened here is you've got all these critics like Ebert saying that these movies are just about the kills and the bodies and whatever and yet when you actually really look through at least the first like five to six movies Mm -hmm. the characters are actually all really good yeah and they're really charming and they feel like you're friends and you like them and (laughs) yeah and you're sad when they die sometimes right and (laughs) and i mean friday 13th part two for example your your first character that you actually care about if you don't count a certain someone from the first movie uh, doesn't actually even bite it until like 50 minutes in. Like these these movies actually took their time, but they're mm-hmm. advertised as like a kill a minute kind of movies, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like some slashers are now. But no, that's not the truth. They were actually better back then. They actually took their time and built the suspense and made you care about these people. And this one so, leaves people alive. And this one leaves people alive, sort of. We'll get to that too. <laughs> <laughs> But so, so no, so I think it's a fitting tagline for how these movies were being perceived by the public, but I think that horror fans really need to go back and reevaluate this stuff and get rid of this perception of Friday 13th as being just like a bunch of bodies for the slaughter, because that's really not what the movies ever were. No. For, for at least the initial run, you know? So, um, so anyway, we're getting the spoilers now, so again, if you haven't seen it, we are going to talk about everything with this movie, so, uh, so I highly recommend you checking it out before we do that. Uh, it's not streaming that I found, but hopefully you can watch it. It's mm. worth renting. <laughs> but anyway, so as we always like to start off with, who do you want to talk about in this movie? So we've got uh, Ginny, played by Amy Steele, her boyfriend, head camp counselor of the other camp counselors, uh, Paul, played by John Fury. Adrian Kane returns as Alice. Who do you want to talk about in this movie? Uh, so I want to talk about one of the survivors of this film, which is Ted, who's played by Stuart Charno. Okay. Because he should not have fucking survived. He should not have. <laughs> no. Ted, look, Ted is your, like, funny, funny man character. Oh, and we're in spoiler territory now, just so oh, you yeah. all know. <laughs> oh, I am. Like, he's your funny man character, and I... I do not like him. I do not think he is a good friend. And a lot of Jason's kills, early kills in this film, are all people who are kind of assholes or doing dickish things. Like, the Friday the 13th films were one of the early slashers that, like, started this accidental myth in slasher films of, like, when you do bad things, you get punished. But he didn't punish Ted. <laughs> and Ted needed to be punished. Be- well, Ted didn't have sex, so... <laughs> yeah, but, like, he's a dick. He, like, yeah. he tows his friend's car. Like, they run, like, a mile down the street thinking they got towed. Like, he scares everybody at the camp. That's fine. But, like, then you get to the bar, and he's just... 
kind of a jerk to everybody and kind mm. of like is just really dismissive, especially of Ginny, who's fucking twice <laughs> as smart as you, Ted. She is. You know, the, Fuck you, the, Ted. The, the one thing I want to say about Ted really quick is just how Sharno is like one of those dudes just like as a person who is surprisingly ripped. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I remember, I remember the first time seeing this movie and like you meet him you know, you meet him when he's doing the the practical joke of towing uh, the car and whatever, and and then you see him for the first time with his shirt off by the beach. <laughs> I remember looking at and, and just thinking like, Jesus Christ! Like <laughs> one of his abs could punch me in the face and knock me out. <laughs> like like the dude when you first see him looks like the frailest, like thinnest, like common looking 80s man yep. you know when 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 just muscle mass was not a thing <laughs> and and you look at him and you're like oh man like that guy looks like me like, i can take I, that fucking nerd I, I could beat up that nerd and then he takes off his shirt and it's like never mind his abs could kick my ass um yep. anyway so i just thought that was kind of funny about ted but no you're right with, with ted it he is a character that it's always rubbed me the wrong way that he lives because mm. in every other Friday movie, there's nothing like that. Like yeah. if you're if you're in the movie and you're any kind of prominent role, you die mm. or you're the one lone survivor at the end, right? Yeah, but those tropes um, didn't exist yet. They didn't. Friday was making them. They didn't exist yet. But even but even without the tropes, like even without that. You know, it's still uncommon in a horror movie for a character to play a role as prominent as he is because he's probably, you know, at first he feels like one of the main characters. Like yeah. he, he's kind of like the life of a few scenes early on, right? And so it's really surprising that he just doesn't exist for the second half of the movie. <laughs> I, I don't remember what the story behind that is, if there is any. Like, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if like, you know, if Charno got like diarrhea or something, and he couldn't, <laughs> and he couldn't do his death scene or or whatever the reason was, because I'm sure they had to have originally had him being killed off. I don't remember to be honest, but but no, he's a character who deserves to die, and he deserves to die actually for a very specific reason that I want to touch on in a minute here. But who I quickly want to mention is just Mark and Vicky. So you know, you've got uh, Mark, the guy in the wheelchair, played by Tom McBride and Vicky, played by Lauren Marie Taylor. And the reason I wanted to mention them is just kind of going back to, kind of going back to what I was just talking about, which is this idea, this misconception of Friday 13th characters being just nothing characters that we don't care about and we just wait for them to get killed off. Really, I want to stress again, if you're listening to this and you're a, and you're a horror fan, you're a fan of the Friday films, like speak up like we got we gotta start throwing this stuff back out into the universe of like hey let's stop talking about friday 13th and and belittling it like this poorly written franchise just because it's a simple slasher because these characters are like i i cannot stress enough like how difficult it actually is to write characters that you care as much as i do about vicky and mark when they only have a few scenes in a slasher movie right yeah and that, and that's yeah, it's truth. Like I love Mark and Vicky, and every time I watch this movie, I'm like, oh my god, they deserve to get together. Jason, you <laughs> fucking cockblock! Like, <laughs> hey, that I I put the so the blame solely on Mark for that because Vicky tried. 
Like, how Vicky, the hell is it Mark's fault? Because Vicky is. <laughs> how the hell is it Mark's fault that they die? What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I'm just saying that they didn't get together sooner. Because Vicky is just <laughs> like, let's let's have sex, let's fuck, let's do this, and Mark's just yeah. like, teehee. Well, well, what's <laughs> No, it's not teehee. I mean, they literally are going to go get together after everybody goes to bed. And they're like, okay, we're alone now. Let's do this shit. I'm just saying Vicky is like hot to trot from like minute one with Mark. And it's just like, come so, on, dude. <laughs> so she is. It's actually really funny. I, I was listening to the, the commentary on the Scream Factory release for this. And uh, and it's got Amy Steele doing a commentary on it. And anyway, she she points out how like if you actually watch this movie closely – Vicky is on Mark before you even notice Vicky on Mark. Like, when they're at the beach, she's pretty much, like, right there next to him and everything. And and it was just funny because Amy Steele refers to her as, like, a collie on Mark that's, like, practically <laughs> humping him and just... <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's even earlier than that. It's their first introduction. Because, like, he's just, like, wheelchairing, like, and doing just fine. And Vicky's just like, hey, do you want me to help you? You got this? And just like, oh, yeah, she's... She's going to fuck your brains out if she gets a chance. Oh, yeah, no. She, 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 you know, it, it's basically like the moment she saw Mark, she decided, you're my summer fuck. Right? Yep. And, <laughs> I like you. And, and then she got to know him and she's like, oh, you're, you're a really good person. Let's go fuck. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, when you watch this movie, you know, Vicky is kind of representative of how all the other women are in the film, which is. Very take control and confident. Yeah. And it's the men, meanwhile, who are fucking, <laughs> you know, little dopes, right? Like, like you watch this movie and, you know, Ginny is clearly wearing the pants in her relationship between her and Paul. Yep. Like, she, she isn't taking any of Paul's shit, and that's why I love her. Vicky, in this case, is the one who is very aggressively hitting on Mark, you know? Like, yep. like if he wasn't into her, it would be awkward. <laughs> uh, it's so aggressive. And then you've got Terry, who's kind of dealing with this dude who's acting like he's fucking, fucking six years Scott. old. I you fucking know? hate Scott. <laughs> um, uh, and then I think it's, I think it's what, Sandra mm-hmm. is the other girl, right? Who who is very just, like, pushing her boyfriend around. Yeah, and she make- wants to go to Camp Blood. She doesn't give a fuck what he says. She's right, going. Right. She's forcing him to Camp Blood. She's, she seems like the one who kind of, you know, likes to play top in bed, right? So <laughs> so it's just, it's really interesting to watch these movies and see, like, how in, in 1981, here you have a film that, again, I feel like is overlooked in how well it actually treats its characters because here you have women not being in the role where they're being taken advantage of by men. Instead, they're the ones yeah. who are who are in control and doing what they want, right? Exactly. And, and that just what, that's just not common, especially in the genre at this time. So uh, That's why I love the entire Friday the 13th franchise is because the women in all the movies are generally a lot more take charge than we see in a lot of other horror films. Generally, but but there's a difference here in Friday 2 than we see in later sequels. Agreed. Because, you know, like, for example, let's put it this way. So, you know, in in part 2, you've got Vicky, who's super in the mark, but but the film doesn't treat Vicky like she's pathetic. The film no. treats Vicky like a confident woman who knows what she wants and wants to go fuck this dude, right? <laughs> and in later sequels, like uh, like, I think it's part 7... Uh, I don't remember the character's name right now, but it's part seven that has a girl who's really obsessed with this dude who's kind of a jerk. And it has, and then part four has uh, a girl whose boyfriend, like, is basically trying to fuck another girl <laughs> in front of her, you know? And, and she goes off to go swim by herself and gets killed, you know? So it's like, so later sequels actually didn't do it as well. It's, it's this film 
where it's like, no, you're gonna, you're not gonna, you're gonna, on, you're not gonna only just care about these women. You're gonna root for them because they, because <laughs> they feel like real women, and it's they're not your... fucking spending their whole time, you know, being pathetic and obsessing over this person that doesn't want them like they were yeah. in later films. You know, so that's true. Yeah. So I feel like as we were talking about this movie, we really need to talk about that. Speaking v- of obsession, right? Yeah, <laughs> that very first scene in which you know Alice is dealing with all the trauma from surviving the first film, and Jason has managed to track her down. And I want to know how the fuck did Jason find her? Well, so what's your theory? <laughs> well, so this is gonna this is an answer that I think is either gonna confuse people or make you go, oh yeah. So, uh, and it's probably a little bit of both. But first of all, I think okay, going against a little bit of my explanation of Friday the Thirteenth earlier, I I think that you have to look at this scene as not really existing in a realm of reality. In the sense of, like, you can't look at it too literally is what I'm trying to say. So so I, I view this scene as a lot more, like, metaphorical in a sense of, to me, it just kind of, it just kind of speaks to this concept of Jason himself as a legend and as kind of like a vengeful ghost, right? That no matter, no matter where you go, uh, no matter who you are, if, if you wrong him in some sort of way... It's like a curse. He will fucking like, find you. He will fucking find you, and he will make sure that you never have sex again. You <laughs> no know? sex. No sex for Jason. No sex for you. <laughs> exactly. So, and no pot. No pot either. You can't smoke pot either if you're in Jason movies. So, I think he's just jealous. He's just, he is just jealous. We've talked about this. He's yeah. got his sexual oppression issues. But, <laughs> but anyway, so I view him as more of like this kind of vengeful curse ghost, so to speak, right? Where in the second film, I don't think he's quite reach the status of being a ghost i think he is still very human actually in the second movie but i think that this opening kind of hints towards that in that he has that he is already even though he's still human almost kind of become a curse he has latent superpowers sure and and (laughs) i i actually think that like if you look at the the hatchet franchise that franchise from adam green is really interesting because i think that it I think that that franchise is kind of a reflection on what Jason Voorhees is. Mm-hmm. And, and that franchise makes it very obvious and clear and in your face because you have Victor Crowley, who is straight up from the very first movie, depicted as a vengeful spirit where no matter how many times you stab him, burn him, whatever, he will always come back because he's basically a curse on the swamp, right? Mm-hmm. And I view Jason in the same way. It's just that it's never like clearly discussed necessarily in the yeah. in the franchise, right? So Hatchet kind of feels like Adam Green sitting around and going, you know what? This is what Jason is. I'm just going to make a movie about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I always love your like smart dude answers to these questions. Was that a smart dude answer? It's smarter than mine because mine looks at everything super literally because my whole mentality with it is like, dude, the the dude Jason's been living in the forest for like twenty fucking years. He's had to hunt his own food down because nobody knows he's there. Either a he's an amazing tracker. Like fuck it, he just got her scent. He's just like this bitch killed my mom. <laughs> she never changed colognes <laughs> or not colognes. She never changed perfumes. <laughs> he's an impressive hunter. He just tracked her down. Or my second. He's like a bear. He can smell her menstruating. Ew. <laughs> No. Uh, <laughs> From miles and miles away. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, either he's like an amazing tracker or 
Personally, I love the idea that the scene that we don't see is the quintessential horror research scene where Jason goes to the fucking library, looks at the microfish to find, like, who killed his mom, looks her up in the yellow pages, and goes and pays a visit. No, like the, the little nerd he is. No, the scene you don't see is Jason riding on the bus from <laughs> from Camp Blood all the way to Alice's house with a bag on his head and everyone just looking at him like, what the fuck? Okay. How did this homeless I... person get on this bus? <laughs> okay, I want that scene so much. But we know Jason walked. That's why it took him so long. Because he had to walk We don't there. know that he walked. He I know that well he walked. He could have taken the bus. Nope, he walked. <laughs> what, with what money? With what money? He paid an animal first. I don't fucking know. It was 1981. People train him weird shit. <laughs> I don't think in 1981 you could just bring like half a deer onto a bus and hand it up you to the bus driver. You could if you were a hulking dude in a sack head mask and you handed a dead animal to the bus driver the bus driver is probably like you know what i don't get paid enough to kick this person <laughs> off the bus i will take your dead animal <laughs> <laughs> that's fair but jason's not quite hulking yet he's a pretty big guy in part two i'm he not he is but not in comparison not to later ones he's not getting hotter but he's still a pretty fucking big guy and he's once again Wearing a sack on his head, all right? <laughs> Nobody is sitting on the bus seeing a hulking sackhead wearing dude come onto the bus and try to pay in dead animal carcasses <laughs> and saying, you know what? I'm not afraid of that person. No, they're all afraid of that person. <laughs> so he very well could have taken the goddamn bus. Anyway, so that's my answer. Uh, so for you, like, what what are your thoughts on Jason as he's depicted in this one compared to later French or complete compared to later entry since it is so different. It's, you know, this one's really interesting for me because we don't watch number two too, too often. And for me, it's interesting because this is the Jason at his most human. Like this is the closest that Jason in the entire franchise comes to actually being a human killer, which honestly I found on watching this rather endearing. Like, mm. I love Jason more now because the way that I'm kind of interpreting this movie, because it's me, I always have to add headcanons and motives and personality to these characters that potentially don't exist. And so the way I kind of take it is that, like, this was Jason's kind of attempt at rejoining humanity a little bit. He had been in the woods. His mom died. He got vengeance dealt with that and mm. decided you know what maybe i will try to engage with humanity a little bit more but he's been so sequestered that he doesn't really know how and this movie for me very much feels like jason going maybe i'll try wait this dude's a jerk i gotta kill him oh, that guy's an asshole i think i have to kill him because it's the only way he knows like Ginny talks about in the bar mm. um and then he goes you know what Fuck it. All humans are terrible. I'm done with this. I'm going to lean towards the supernatural. I'm not going to be human anymore. So so look, straight up, this is why I don't think the Friday the 13th remake is as good as everybody always says it is. Is and it because of the stupid fucking tunnels? No, it's not because of the tunnels. I hate although the I do think the tales. tunnels are stupid. I all right? hate the tunnels. The tunnels are ridiculous. They're dumb. And they never need to be in the movie because I prefer not having an extraordinarily ridiculous explanation between how he transports. Yeah. Um, but no, it's not about that. What I'm, what I'm getting at, and, and look, I want to clarify too. I like the remake, all right? I just don't think that it's better than all of the earlier films, the way that everybody always likes to talk about it is. And the, no. re the reason is, what you just described is why I don't like <laughs> a lot of the slasher remakes as much as the original. Because... A lot of these remakes decided, well, we want to have an empathetic villain, 
but we're going to shove it in your face until there's no way that you can't be somewhat <laughs> empathetic towards them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, the Halloween remake, you've got, you know, Michael Myers. We spend, like, 45 minutes with Michael Myers as a kid. And his fucking and, shitty and, family. And watching him get bullied with his shitty family and all that, right? The, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, you spend most of the movie thinking that Freddy was wrongly accused, you know? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, eventually those movies started really getting into, like, the psychology of Leatherface and how he was tortured and stuff as a kid, right? And bullied and all that. And I think Friday the 13th Part 2 is the perfect example of how you can do both, but not not have to spend so much time trying to shove it in our goddamn faces when you just have... It's just, it's just good writing for fuck's sake, you know? Like, Friday the 13th Part 2 is Jason at his most sympathetic because when you're watching this, Jason does feel very human. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it goes... And, and the movie doesn't need to tell you that. You know, it shows you through different examples, like even from the very beginning, you know, when when the kids are first arriving, uh, there's a tree in the road. and And it's such a simple way to say... Or, or such a simple but subtle way to say that Jason does not actually like killing. Yeah. He doesn't actually want to kill. He wants these kids to not invade his home because he wants his privacy, right? Yeah. He put that tree there to stop them. Granted, <laughs> not a very effective method, but he tried it anyway because that's his way of being like, I don't want to kill you. But if you come in my lawn, I will shoot you, right? So, <laughs> like, like, he's sympathetic in that way. He's sympathetic throughout the rest of the film in the sense that, you know, we've got Ginny talking about him of, like, well, you know, maybe, maybe he is this lonely kid. You see him uh, kind of struggling a little bit with, with killing everyone off. And, and it's something – this is something I never hear talked about with this movie is that Jason spends the first night – you know, he kills Ralph uh, from the first film – but he spends the first night observing the kids and kind of like stalking them and, well, you know, it, almost kind of like he's weary of them a little bit. Right. And and that's so different from sequels that came later where it's like the very night that the kids get there, they're all going to fucking die. Yeah. But in this one, it's on the second night that he goes after them because he had to kind of like almost in a sense, get up his courage. Right. To, mm-hmm. to go do what he has to do. And, and then you see him just constantly kind of fucking up uh, in the finale where he's, like, standing on a chair and it breaks. And, you know, he's almost like a Three Stooges character, right? Where yeah. he's just so clumsy and oafish and, and he's having a hard time, like, actually getting Ginny, right? He gets kicked in the balls. <laughs> right. So, so in a sense, it's like his mother was way more vicious than he is. Yes, she and, was. And, and it... And it t- you know, it's not until the third film that Jason really comes into his own. In the second movie, he is an empathetic character. He is someone that, you know, he's a vicious killer and you don't want to be his friend, but you also sort of get him and get why he's doing these things and you feel bad for him, well, you know? And I think it's also this thing that, like, I feel like sometimes, like, the big movie studios kind of forget is... Look, we like horror. We like our killers. If we like one of them, we're going to come up with ridiculous headcanons of why we can like them to justify why they're our, they're our favorites. Well, but even beyond that, though, like, I, I'm just I'm just making the simple point of, like, good writing is subtlety. Yeah. All right. Like, for any of you listening, like, that that is the key. All right. Is subtlety is you don't 
like like really you know like like i've studied like how screenwriters will you know you write kind of like your vomit draft or something right mm-hmm. and then and in that vomit draft characters are going to speak very directly you know they're like like they're gonna they're gonna say exactly what they're thinking sometimes in these vomit drafts and then you watch how a writer improves that scene over and over and over again and as they do new drafts, the characters become more and more subtle in what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Friday Thirteenth Part Two, compared to something like the Halloween remake or whatever, uh, is an example of like how some of these movies were just better written. Yeah. Because, because you know, we can create this whole empathy and backstory and, and all this stuff to Jason with nothing. Like we're <laughs> we're really given almost nothing. You know, yeah. a tree in the road. Ginny talking about him for one minute. Like, that's all it takes for us to empathize with Jason. Yep. And here you have, you know, something like Halloween spending 45 minutes being like, hey, look at this bully kid. You should care about him, you know? <laughs> and I end up not caring and- about him and wanting everyone to die. Well, because <laughs> Rob Zombie likes to write his horrible redneck families. Um, yep. And then one last thing I want to say really quick here as well is that <laughs> speaking on, you know, Jason kind of being this character that we empathize with and that... Uh, I want I want to emphasize to a degree. All right, like it's not <laughs> we're not rooting for Jason in this movie, but uh, or maybe you are. I'm but. always rooting for Jason. <laughs> He's still doing horrible things, you know. But <laughs> but something that's interesting here too that's never really explored as much again either is that you know I think there's a kind of undertone in this movie uh, that sort of deals with <laughs> kind of a commentary, honestly, on like white people taking over indigenous land and and. Uh, and, you know, doing terrible things to indigenous people, you know, because uh, white people suck, yep. as we've especially learned in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I say that because, you know, there's a few little notes here. So first of all, you have Jason, who is very protective of his land, right? Mm-hmm. It's not technically his land, but we look at it as Jason's territory, he right? He was murdered there. It's his. Sure, exactly. <laughs> so So we look at it like his land. But but he's not directly seeking out killing these people, right? He's trying to protect his land, uh, and it's only when they invade his land that he goes out to kill these teenagers. And that and that's the same case with all the other movies. Like all the other movies don't don't make as much of an emphasis on it. But that's the key point. He, they're only dying because they invade Jason's territory. Yeah. But so there's that. But then the reason that I started thinking about you know how that relates to indigenous people is that you have a couple scenes. One where uh, speaking of, you know, uh, Ted from earlier, Ted's depiction of Jason to scare everyone at the campfire is as, you know, our horribly skewed view of Native Americans, right? Ooh. Where he comes out, like, you know, naked almost and wearing a, a little, like, tribal skirt and he's got a spear and, like, a very offensive mask on, right? Yep. And, and that's supposed to be, like, his depiction of Jason. Like, it just seems, it's very random yeah. that that would be their depiction of Jason Voorhees if there's not some kind of undertone commentary here on white people just taking land that doesn't belong to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that even just a small thing when Ginny's playing chess with Paul, she, it, there's a very specific comment of, you know, him saying he's going to beat her, and she's like, Ron, white man. <laughs> and she's obviously referring to the chess pieces. Yeah. But it still kind of feels like a line of dialogue where it's like, I feel like we're kind of talking about how shitty white people are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I feel like another thing that we kind of get in this film a little bit is like this theme of of motherhood, especially coming off of like the killing of Pamela Voorhees and Jason's kind of 
reaction to that and Ginny, how she kind of gets away from everything. So what are your what are your thoughts on that theme? Quickly, as I always do lately, before I answer what you just <laughs> asked, uh, I want to make one last <laughs> look. People, I give this up. Is, look, people, this is the point where I've been drinking and I am just not ready to move on. So, uh, so, so really quick, one last point I want to just say is that another thing is why I think you see such a change in Jason from part two to part three, where he does become more sort of zombie-like and less sympathetic and all that is because, especially considering the time and how poorly this country treats people like Jason, right? You mm-hmm. know, And I'm talking about Jason as a kid. Uh, because of how poorly this country treats people like that, the scene at the bar where Paul and Ted are laughing at Ginny for having sympathy for Jason, yeah. it, it almost kind of feels like the reaction that, you know, whether it was said or, or, or obvious or not, it is sort of like the reaction of the public of like the public wasn't ready to sympathize with Jason. Mm-hmm. The public just viewed Jason as, you know, this demented killer or whatever. And so this, you know, so the studio and the franchise almost kind of course corrects that for part three. And we don't really go back to, we sympathize for Jason. Right. Yeah. Um, they tried to make him a rapist in three. They did. And I'm really not okay with that. It's nah, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's the only part of Friday the 13th lore that I just strike from my headcanon. Oh, yeah. No, that, that stuff in part three is just it, not okay. No, Jason doesn't <laughs> fuck. End of story. Right. So, so no, so it, it does kind of feel like that scene at the bar was kind of like, hey, yeah, no, we don't, we don't empathize with Jason because we're white American dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, okay, to answer your question, thoughts on motherhood. Yeah, so uh, in recently re- revisiting this, I don't know if this is something that I had ever thought about before, or if I'm just kind of noticing it now, but I feel like this movie is actually one big giant commentary on motherhood and on uh, the fear of it, and it's all kind of shown through Ginny. So before anybody is squinting their eyes and be like, what the hell are you talking about? If you really watch this closely... I, I I do believe that Ginny is pregnant in this movie. Yeah. And and if she's not, then metaphorically, I think it's hinted at or mm-hmm. talked about. Because let's put it this way. To, 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 to give you why I reference it this way. First of all, there's a scene in this movie where her and Paul are about to get it on. And, and we, we get that they have fucked before. They, yeah. They've clearly been fucking for a while. Mm-hmm. And... Ginny starts to say to him, I have something to tell you. And Paul more or less is like, hey, shut up. Yep, like gonna, he's done gonna... the entire movie. Right. He's like, hey, hey, shut up for a second. We're, we're going to fuck now. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she's about to tell him something. And it feels it feels like her about to say, like, I'm pregnant. Yeah. You know, like th- those feel like the words that are about to come out of her mouth. So you can throw that over your shoulder if you want. But then you start looking at other moments in this movie. And what do we have? We have Ginny show up to camp. What are the very first words out of her mouth? I'm late. Yep. <laughs> the very first words out of her mouth are in, I'm late. In her little and red car. In her little red car, which you could look at as representing, you know, the menstrual flow. God damn. <laughs> um, she's late. Yeah. She's late with her menstrual flow. Right? So so she's and then and then her first conversation with Paul is Basically, Paul 
forcing her into saying, I'll never be late again. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, you know, so so good writing is when you can write a scene that has dialogue that's about something else on the surface, but underneath is about something completely different. Mm-hmm. Again, it's 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 about characters not saying directly what they mean. So when you watch this scene with them having this conversation about her being late, you can look at it as Paul basically saying, you know, I don't like that you're pregnant. And you need to get rid of that baby and you need to never be late again. <laughs> and and Ginny eventually gives in and is like, you're right. I won't ever be late again. We're going to fix this problem <laughs> and it won't happen again. Right. So it just, so there's little things there, but then as the film goes on too, you got her scene at the bar where she's sitting there contemplating the, the relationship of a mother and child. Mm-hmm. And, and and she feels empathy. She's the only character in the whole movie that feels empathy for that. And it's probably because she's dealing with what to do with her baby. Yeah. You know, do I get rid of the baby? Do I not? And I think this whole movie is about her trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. You know, where maybe once she has that conversation with Paul where he basically tells her to shut the fuck up, maybe she's starting to think, I don't know if I should have this baby. And then that's when Jason is striking and... You know, she's kind of being, uh, Jason is almost sort of like representative of her facing, you know, her unborn child. And and it, and that whole third act, you can kind of read as like being a struggle between what is she going to do with this baby? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And, 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 there, and just one last thing I'll say about it. But there but there's also a theme of, you know, parenthood all throughout this movie where that that a lot of other sequels in the Friday franchise don't have which is Ginny and Paul are our main characters, and they feel like the parents of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, they go out to the bar, they have a few drinks, and then they come back, and it's like they're they're coming back to check on the kids and, and see what fucking shit the kids got into. <laughs> and, you know, they find the blood. They, which is they, getting murdered. Well, they find the bed covered in blood, which is almost kind of like discovering your kid had sex or something, right? So, <laughs> um, What kind of sex are they having? Oh, their first time, right? Where you That's break a lot of blood. It's, a, it's probably too much blood. But <laughs> too much blood. <laughs> But but the point is like you know they they have a very parent parental vibe to them, mm-hmm. and our main characters in other Friday sequels all feel more like teenagers. Yes, you know, so they're very different that way. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on a lot of that. I think my viewpoint with with Ginny and how she's dealing with it is like I agree with you. I think that she's pregnant. Um, I think that what Ginny is more struggling with has has kind of less to do with Paul and more look having a baby especially in the time period that she is having a baby very much destroys lives and it sucks saying that but like as as a woman it's really difficult to have a baby and keep having a career so the thing that I kept noticing it's really difficult just any time to have a baby and not have it fuck up your life a little exactly. bit. <laughs> um, and so the way I kind of take it is like the first part of this movie is Ginny kind of struggling with the fact that she doesn't really want to keep this baby because she's smarter. She's more capable than everybody around she's her. She's a child psychologist. She is. She is. She's- but, I, but I say that as like she's one of the only final girls in Friday that we actually know something about besides they're a camp counselor. <laughs> exactly. Like, And that's the thing is just like Jenny is so much smarter. She has such better potential than anybody else around her. And she's answering to these dumbass dudes who don't know what they're doing. Oh. Well, and that's why it's interesting too, because when you watch this movie, all every single one of the the kind of 
male figures that stand as either, you know, a false protector or a warning or, or any, any sort of protection, so mm. to speak, you know, they all die. Like, Crazy Ralph is kind of like, you know, the condom is like, don't have sex. Go away from this camp. Because he's don't- fucking watching you. <laughs> No, 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 he's like the condom, he's like, don't have sex, he's like the warning label of like, you may become pregnant by going to this camp, or, or only in his case, it's like, you may die by visiting uh-huh. Camp Blood. Um, so like, Crazy <laughs> Ralph dies, the, the sheriff dies in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Paul eventually, in my opinion, dies, which I'll get to in a second. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so all of these figures are kind of being taken out, so it's like, it's like, you know, it's like those single mothers where all of the men in their lives leave mm-hmm. and then they're kind of left to deal with it on their own. Or in another sense, you know, a, a lot of women, I imagine, before you know, before you have the conversation you're pregnant, you're probably going through it in your own head of like, what am I going to do about this kid before you even tell anybody, right? Yeah. And, and again, that's what I think, that's what I think this whole movie subtextually is about with Ginny is really just her working through like, what am I going to do about being pregnant? Yeah. Which is why I think that in the end, when she puts a machete through Jason, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of her deciding, I'm not going to have this kid. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Because for me, I see Jason from Ginny's point of view. Jason is the symbol of the sacrifices that you have to make sometimes when you're a mom. Being a mom, being a parent requires sacrifices. And a lot of times, it's your social life. It's your career sacrifices must be made. Ginny ain't ready for that shit. She she wants to have beers at the bar and live her life. (laughs) Well, and that's kind of the thing is like, if you have a partner that you really feel like you can depend on, maybe it would be better. But Paul is not that person because she is fighting Jason alone for most of it. And like in the end, she has to take on the ugly, disgusting, gross mantle of motherhood that is Pamela Voorhees' sweater, Mm -hmm. which I think is very symbolic of how she feels about motherhood. Oh, 100%. She has to to become a mother in that moment, Mm -hmm. and it's disgusting. Yeah. Now, now, I want I want all of you listening to know that we are not saying motherhood is disgusting. Exactly. But from Ginny's point of view in this movie, it seems like Ginny is basically thinking, I ain't ready for this shit. <laughs> yep, I don't want to deal with this. I'm not prepared to do any of this, which I no. think is a very responsible mentality to have. And you know, if you end up chopping up a backwoods man to like get through <laughs> your your therapy of dealing with your feelings, you know, so be it. Listen, I I think everyone needs to slaughter a backwards man <laughs> in order to work through some issues. <laughs> Please don't actually go kill anybody. Um, uh, so so. I, Haha, I bet you all didn't think we could find interesting subtext with Friday the 13th Part 2, did you? But we did, I think. <laughs> Matt is dedicated. <laughs> but so lastly, because I know we're going to run over time here with this, like I said we would. So one of our listeners, a uh, big supporter of ours, James Shannon. So this is at James Shannon Mo 2. So that's James, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-M-O, and then the number two. Uh, he wanted to ask us our thoughts on the ending and what we kind of think of the uh, sort of debated fan theory of whether or not this is a dream or if it was real. Uh, so, so what do you think? You wanna, what do you think is the answer to James' question? <laughs> so I think that it's real up until the, the ending chop that Ginny has in the hobo shack. Okay. Um, once it gets to her and Paul walking back to the cabin – Finding Muffin, the dog, and Jason bursting through the goddamn window without his sack head on. 
I think all of that is a dream. I think that that's at that point, Ginny just processing stuff because honestly, I think that in that final scene in the hobo, in the hobo shack, um, wait, it's a hobo shack. It's a Jason shack. It's a Jason shack <laughs> with a fucking toilet connected to nothing. The ground. Yeah. It's connected to the ground. It's, it's porta potty. It's not a. Ew. But, like, I honestly think that you have your last battle in there. Paul dies. Jason is grievously injured and, like, a wild animal is just like, fuck this nonsense. I'm going to go into the woods, train like a mofo so that I can come back for number three and kick everybody's ass. Nope, this is where I think you're on. So, <laughs> fuck it. So, you actually think that the ending happened? Well, you, you think Jason dived through that goddamn window? Well, first of all, the director Steve Miner says it's all real. I don't give a shit what he says. Well, neither do <laughs> I. Uh, my my reaction to Steve Miner saying that it's all real is bullshit, Paul or, or Steve or whatever the hell your name is. Like, Fuck your name. <laughs> because I I think that that's crap. Like yeah. I don't I don't think that it's real because when. It, because when you really start to analyze it, like it just doesn't fucking make sense, right? Yeah. So I actually do think that that last sequence is a bit of a dream. I think that from the moment that Ginny slices into Jason with the machete, I mm-hmm. think everything after that is a dream until the next morning when the ambulance is taking her away. Okay, so we agree, but I'm still wrong. Well, you're wrong on what happens to Jason after that, I think. So <laughs> Training montage. There's no training montage. Training so, montage. So, 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 first of all, I'll get to why. But first of all, uh, as for why it's a dream, I think I think it really comes down to a couple simple things, which is that, so you've got the dog Muffin, right? Muffin is very obviously murdered by Jason halfway through. To be fair, they don't know exactly what it is. No, I think if you look at the shot of what was killed, it's... Obviously, muffin. Yeah, like I mean, it kind like of. They don't. Looks. They don't even try to dress that up as anything else but a tiny little poodle dog like muffin. Does he it kill is, any other dogs in the franchise? I don't remember off the top of my head, but it wouldn't surprise me. I think he does in one of them. Okay. I think he does in four, maybe, because there's a dog in that one that I don't think comes back. Oh, we never know what happens to that dog. Yeah, but anyway, uh, who the fuck cares? Lander <laughs> franchise. That's not what this is about. This is about this one. And in this one, I'm just saying, Muffin goes up to Jason, partly into this movie, and then the very next shot is hot dogs cooking on the grill, and movie language is basically saying, Muffin's fucked. (laughs) All right? Like, Muffin is fucked. And And then when the two kids find Muffin, it's very clearly Muffin. I don't know how many dogs that look exactly like that are out roaming the woods and having their guts torn out by Jason, all right? so I maintain he was just trying to pet that dog. I don't care if he was just trying to pet it or whatever. He killed that dog. That dog is dead. Yeah. My point is Muffin is dead. And so when Muffin shows up in the end, you know it's a dream. You know, like, like the two kids, Sandra and the other dude who I always forget the name of, uh, Jeff, I think, they they find, they know it's Muffin. Yeah. They, they contemplate between themselves, should we tell Terry, played by Kristen Baker, the owner of the dog, should we tell her? And they're like, as far as I'm convinced, we didn't see anything. They know it's Muffin. Yeah. They saw it firsthand. They're like, that's fucking Muffin, and that, that dog is dead. <laughs> so... Uh, so, so Muffin coming back in the end, that's a dream. Yeah. That didn't happen. Yeah. You know, there's no way that that happened. So what I think happens here is Ginny 
does actually kill Jason. I think she kills the human version of Jason mm-hmm. by putting that machete through him. And I'm pretty sure Paul dies there because right before Jason d- dies like that, you see Jason coming down with his own machete hit on Paul. I'm pretty sure he's not missing oh, you know. when he's got Paul in his grip, right? Yeah, so, Paul's dead. So Paul's dead. Paul Paul doesn't show up after that, yeah. after this dream sequence where Ginny gets taken, all right? Steve Miner apparently has made a reference to, like, Paul's just not in that scene. But I'm sorry, Steve. It doesn't read that way. Paul's dead. Yeah, Paul's dead. <laughs> so, so I think that, going back to my original theory on Jason, I think that Paul, or I think that Jason dies in that moment. Ginny has a fucking panic attack because she just, you know, went through hell. Yep. She just killed Jason. She just witnessed Paul die. She's probably not all there after that, right? Yeah, so, she put her in a dead woman's sweater. Yeah, uh, sure. So she she she's going through some trauma, okay? So so what so her perspective is flawed after that. So I think Jason dies here and then I think that moving on in the franchise, I think that that is the moment actually where Jason becomes more of like a ghost. Yeah. You know, more of this ghost that just keeps haunting Camp Crystal Lake and refuses to die. Yeah. You know, a lot of people like to think that it's part six where he officially becomes a zombie. And in a sense, that's the movie where that, that most directly says Jason is supernatural now. Mm-hmm. But I think that beginning with part three, where Jason is still alive, he is dead at that point. <laughs> yeah. He's a human in part two. That's why he runs. That's why he's very different from the other movies. Part three is when he starts moving slow. He's dead there. And so yeah. everything that happens after part two is Jason as a ghost or a zombie or whatever the hell you want to refer to it as. Maybe he's body hopping and going no. to different bodies no. before no. before Jason goes to hell. No. But he is he is not human anymore after that. So I do think he dies at the end and it's all a dream after that. I can I can get with that. I still think even if he's not alive, even if it's spiritual, training montage. All right, whatever. What is your... No, Speaking down. of idiots, uh, what is your... Who is your killer idiot in Friday the 13th Part 2 since we got to start wrapping up here? Okay, so I'm going to do a different take on killer idiot this round. My killer idiot is Vicky because she is a finally, 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 finally about to get to fuck Mark, which she's been trying to do the entire time. She goes back to her cabin to get a couple of things before they find their own place to fuck. And she gets changed into an uglier outfit. Like, the girl looks great in the outfit that she's in when she's trying to seduce him. And then she goes back to her goddamn cabin and takes her, like, nice form-fitting sweater off, gets, like, into an ugly sweater, and then switches out her black panties for, like, brown, late, like, satin. Like, (laughs) bitch, you've been trying to get this the entire time. Is your goal just to wear clothing so ugly that he has no choice but to, like, instantly rip it off you? Like... What, I don't what, get a, it. what a sexist commenting on a woman's choice for how she presents herself. <laughs> like that's the rudest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> so sexist. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, I agree. I think it's fucking terrible. Like I, I laugh at this every time. I've, I've been laughing at this moment since I was a teenager because, yeah. because even then I, I was. I was knowledgeable enough to think, well, maybe not knowledgeable. Maybe I'm the sexist for thinking that she should not, that, that she should, you know, stick with her sexier clothes. But but ever since I was a teenager, I've watched this and been like, is that your sex sweater? Yeah. 
Like, who has a sex sweater? Right? You know, like, of all of the things that you could wear to be like, I'm going to allure you and attract you now, a a sweater? Like, a really fluffy, like, probably kind of staticky sweater is your choice? Well, and on top of that, we (laughs) have And then poop brown panties? (laughs) You take off your cute shit and put on poop brown panties? (laughs) Right, and then on top of that, like, look, at the beginning of, like, the the camp part, like, he tells you, Paul tells you don't wear perfume because you're going to summon bears, and you're like, fuck it, I'm summoning bears to my coochie. You spray perfume in your vagina. Look, I mean, that's okay. Like, you know, every... Look, I sprayed per I sprayed cologne on my junk when I was a teenager. Not when that- there were bears around to eat you. You don't care about a bear when you're about to get laid. You just care about getting laid. You're not worried about a fucking bear coming out of the woods. Well, a bear's going to ruin your sex time. You care more about the bear that is Mark, who's about to <laughs> ravage your underpants. <laughs> All right. (laughs) I will say, if anybody can give me, like, a legitimate, like, reason for why she would change into this outfit for sexy time, I will accept any of it. I want to know a reason. Somebody please give me a reason to not think that this girl is dumb and shooting herself in her own foot. Well, it's not dumb. I mean, I think think just the reason is very simply, like, we all have our idea of what makes us sexy and... What what we think makes us sexy isn't always sexy to other people, you know. So like, Fair so enough. like her, her sweater and and poop brown panties, <laughs> you know, don't appeal to me. But maybe maybe they've worked for her in the past. I don't fucking know. I don't so. know. I don't get <laughs> maybe it. Maybe she lost her virginity to that sweater and she thinks it's hot. I have no fucking idea. Ew. Anyway, my my, we're going so over time with this one. Just how much we love this movie. Uh, my my idiot is Terry. It's Terry for going skinny. <laughs> So here, I wrote a note down for this because I, wa- I want to read this note as is. It's Terry for going skinny dipping in the middle of the night in a strange lake at a strange camp with a bunch of strangers, a dude that's stalking her, a missing dog, not to mention she knows about Jason, and I wouldn't even sleep after hearing that story about Camp Blood and Jason if I were her. Oh, and there's a strange noise in the woods right before she takes her clothes off and goes into the lake. <laughs> Terry is a moron, all right? Like, Terry, uh, you know, it's, I don't, I don't believe in those things of, like, you know, it's your fault or whatever mm-hmm. for, for being a woman and being attacked by a man or whatever. I don't believe in that shit. Yeah. You know, she can wear whatever the hell she wants. Mm-hmm. But I will say, if your choice is to go skinny dipping and a strange place in a strange lake in the middle of the woods. Well, you have weird dudes stalking you. Not your best choices, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> you could have made better choices than that. I feel like it's something that she should have just taken a buddy system. Like Oh, for sure. I look, whatever yeah, her reason is, just look, I, I don't I I'm not against skinny dipping. I don't think that a woman is asking for it, as some people like to say. By stripping and going skinny dipping, I am just saying, not the best time, Terry. <laughs> You're not the best time. <laughs> here's what I'm gonna say: is the real fault with that is Paul for hiring Scott because Scott is clearly a kind of what rapey do think, dude. What do you think? Paul has experience with Scott <laughs> shooting him in the ass with a slingshot. Like <laughs> Paul probably doesn't fucking know that Scott's gonna steal Terry's <laughs> clothes and. You know, a fucking shooter in the ass. <laughs> okay, so I maintain that Scott's death and Terry's reaction is what puts Jason over the edge into being like, fuck humans. 
Because, like, here's the thing. Up until, so up until that point, Jason, you know, he's killed Ralph and the sheriff. But up until that point, Jason's like, maybe the teenagers are okay. Yeah, because he's just like, look, he kills Ralph because he's being a creepy peeping Tom. And Jason knows uh, that that's I, not okay. I, no, 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 let me finish. Um, he kills he kills Ralph for being a creepy peeping Tom. He kills the sheriff because the sheriff's a fucking asshole who invades his personal space. And then he kills Scott because Scott's being a creepy asshole. And then, like, he shows up to be like, hey, Terry, look, I took care of that creep for you in the only way he knows how. And Terry fucking screams in his face. And he's like, oh, no, I don't need yeah, that I, shit. No, Fuck you. I'm I, done. I'm, I'm sorry, but no, hon. Uh, I don't care. It's my head getting. I can do what I want with teenagers it. Teenagers let him drown. He watches mother murdered by teenagers. He's I'm pretty trying. sure he's over people by this point. <laughs> I think it was his last straw. I, I don't think Terry being ungrateful for him killing Scott was his <laughs> tipping point. All right. So, anyway, uh, who's your speaking of? Who's your killer death of Friday Thirteenth Part Two? I don't know why I can't say that though. <laughs> I think for me, honestly, it goes to killing Crazy Ralph because, like, look, he he gets what is it like carotid? Is that the term when you get like? I've never heard that term. Okay, <laughs> so like he gets ostensibly strangled to death, but it's not just with string or wire like we're normally used to seeing. It's with fucking barbed wire, which is intense, and Jason's holding it with his bare goddamn hands. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a really like intense death. Also, he's being a fucking creep and yeah. spying on them fucking. So yeah. he needed to get killed. And Jason just really hates Ralph, apparently. Um, he's I, a peeping tom. I I also put Ralph just because you know I, I think Ralph is a really memorable character from the first movie. He's he's kind of the character that started the whole like harbinger of doom mm-hmm. trope that we see in these films, right? Like Ralph is pretty much the epitome of that. Um, so it's kind of shocking in a way to see him killed off so early in part two. Uh, I've heard stories about, I think, how Minor wanted him in more of the movie and that just didn't happen. But no, I, I like him dying there because to me, he's he, he's the symbol of, like I said, like protection. Uh, you know, I, I made a joke about like it being kind of like a condom, but he's <laughs> he's kind of he's the condom of the franchise. Right. And he and, and you know, in part two, Jason's like. Nope, going away. So there goes the condom. Now all bets are off. There's no safety anymore. <laughs> You're all going to get pregnant and die. You know, so all your lives are going to be ruined. <laughs> and, and so him dying is just very symbolic. It's very memorable in that sense, right? And then I also just had the note of like, I love that he is found by Ginny in the pantry, which is where he is hiding and comes out of in the first movie. So I kind of like... I kind of like how it's a little callback to him being a little creep and hanging out in the pantry. <laughs> Jason's just like, get back in that fucking closet. Right. This is where you belong with the canned goods. Yeah, fuck you. Uh, all right. So lastly, who is your killer MVP of Friday the 13th? Why? Who is your killer MVP of Friday the 13th part two? There you go. Yeah. So my killer MVP goes to Steve Dash for Jason. Uh, because I fucking love Jason, and he was amazing. And plus, this dude got like pretty injured on this film. Like, yes, he did. Yeah, he um his hand got injured so bad that he had to go to the hospital for like thirteen stitches. Amy Steele accidentally chopped it with a machete. Yep. Um, he got rug burn on his eye from wearing like that sack and everything like that. So like, dude was fucking dedicated. Um, and I also personally love that when he goes to conventions, apparently when he signs, he signs the real Jason since he was the first. <laughs> well, he was, although Ari Lerman likes to take that title as being the kid Jason in part one. But 
No, yeah, no. Look, Steve Dash is great. I think Steve did a great job as Jason. Like I said, he brings empathy and terror to the character. As a person, he really was a committed performer. He got injured multiple times on this movie. Like you mentioned, his finger got chopped by Amy Steele. And she actually tells a great story about that on the commentary, which I highly recommend you all listen to. It's not a great interview because I think the interviewers are kind of blah. <laughs> but, but, Amy, but, but, uh, but Amy has a lot of great stories. And she talks a lot about how, you know, her being kind of a new actress, she wasn't, she was nervous and she wasn't really used to the timing of stunts and stuff like that. So, for example, she mentions how, like, if you were to say one, two, three, and then you swing with the machete, she was so nervous that she would go one, two, and then swing with the machete. Oh, no. So, so why his finger got cut there is because she was early. She was yeah. early with the swing. And it was the same thing with other parts of the movie. I think there's one point where she, like, kicks him the balls or something accidentally <laughs> because she's too early, right? So uh, so Steve Asher was a trooper, and she mentions how, like, he came back from the hospital after getting his finger cut, and, like, and he was cool with it. And, like, totally just, like, a good dude about it and didn't give her shit or anything. No. And thought it was, like, a fun war story of working on film, right? So, so no, Steve Dash is a great guy. Definitely, I think, deserves it. But me... I'm going to go to Amy Steele's Ginny. Fuck yeah. Uh, we've talked about April Fool's Day on this podcast before. And I just think that Ginny is a really great actress and representation of what a good final girl is in these movies. You know, the only slashers that I can remember off the top of my head that she's done are Friday 13th Part 2 and April Fool's Day. But in both of them, she is this like stepping stone for what final girls would eventually become which are these more kind of strong, confident women who don't, you know, they don't ooze this, like, virginal innocence, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Amy Steele brought a lot of confidence and, like, maturity to her roles uh, where she doesn't come off like that, right? Yeah. She, she's a woman who stands on her own, and she doesn't, <laughs> you know, her, her character's not defined by sex. And so I, like, I, I really like her in the way that she presents that. And it is funny to hear her talk about how nervous she was because you do not see that. No. <laughs> Uh, in her performance in Friday. So. No, she was really dedicated. The little bit that I read was that she was really dedicated to having a character who was very kind of cold and standoffish, both to, to Paul and to the audience. She accomplished that so well. Like, yeah, I'm with you. Amy Steele is just fucking amazing in this film. Uh, she's great, and, and Amy should have, as far as I'm concerned, Amy should have been cast in a whole lot more horror movies than she was. because. Yeah. Because I, I thought she was fucking great in this and, and April Fool's Day. I know she's not much of a horror fan, so maybe that had something to do with her not taking certain roles. But <laughs> um, but I, I still would I still wish she would have been in more. But anyway, so that's going to do it for us on Friday the 13th Part 2. Hopefully you've enjoyed that. I know we go way over time <laughs> on this one. We just really love Jason. We just really love Jason. Uh, uh, next week is going to be the film Madman which I've already been informed multiple times by people is not a summer camp movie, quote-unquote. We'll uh, be the judge of that. Well, <laughs> I, if I remember correctly, it does take place in the fall. I'm just, I'm just saying this ahead of time before you all fucking criticize me ah. for choosing it for deadly summer camps, but it's still about a camp, all right? So fuck you. <laughs> I'm excited. This is the only one this month that I haven't seen yet, so I'm excited to watch it. Uh, all right, so anyways, that, that film is streaming on Tubi, so you should be able to catch it there if you can uh, beforehand. Otherwise, just thank you so much as always for listening. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we said something about Friday <laughs> Part Two that you know that maybe you haven't heard before. I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about a movie that's forty years old and <laughs> and say anything new with it. But hopefully, we did that. Otherwise, hopefully, you just had a good time. 
Um, and yeah, that's gonna do it for us. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore horror underscore critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>